Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. Praise God. I'm excited that uh, it's a serve day for our, for our bridge. So that's our fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. And I love it that they're being... We can, we can play that. It's cool. All right. I'm, a, I'm excited that um, they're learning to, um, to serve. Amen? Yeah. It's important to serve because, as we've said, you guys should be able to say it by now, but I'm going to tell you anyway, the Scripture tells us in Ephesians that growth in the body happens by what every joint supplies, right? And that means every joint, every single person, every single part. There's not an age limit. There's not, um, there, there's not a cap right? There's not a beginning, right? It's by every joint, what every joint supplies. Amen? Praise God. Causes growth in the body. So I say all that to say if you're not supplying something to the body, then start supplying something. Sometimes you got to just start somewhere. Sometimes you got to say, I'm going to try this out or I'm going to try. I had somebody come to me the other day and say, where do you need help? And I'm like, well, you name it. Um, we need it. You just sign up for something, and we'll get you plugged in there. But let's evaluate in a couple weeks, see how you like it. Because I want you to find your place. Amen? Everybody finding their place by what every joint supplies. Praise God. That's not the message today, but, um, but it could be. It's really good. Do you guys notice? So uh, I went to see um, Top Gun this weekend, and it inspired me to dress throwback today. Um, I'm not going to lie, I, I went home and I was like, I need to wear my pumped up kicks. So I was sitting down there and I was like, I got to get ready. Um, got to get ready. So we're ready today um, to close out our series from the cross. Has this been good for anybody? Yes. It's been so good, hasn't it? Oh man, I, I think that, that this series um, so far this year... Um, this series has, it's almost like we've been building to this um, for the entire year. Um, we've been talking about from here, where do we go from here? We've talked about um, the importance of the resurrection, and we spent some time on that this year. And we're here, and we're talking about where we go from the cross. And one of our core values 
uh, number two is the cross behind us. And I point over here, they're there every single week. We need to get these ingrained in our minds. We need to get these where they just rattle off because this is the culture of our church are these core values. Number two, the cross behind us, the world before us. And that one, a lot of times I think we read it because of maybe, and if you've been in church for any uh, length of time um, in your life, you, you may know the song that says, um, the world behind us, the cross before us, right? There's a hymn, the world behind us, the cross before us. But we say the cross behind us, the world before us. And there's nothing wrong with the line in the song because, yes, we leave the world behind and we run to the cross. Amen? Amen. But as a Christian, once we've followed Jesus and we've said, I am in this community, I am in this family, Jesus is my Lord, now the cross becomes our backing because if we stay at the cross the whole time, we're missing the point. And so we go from the cross. As we go from the cross, it's the cross that is our support. It's the cross that has our back. It's the cross that causes us to stand with boldness before the world and proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. Amen? Praise God. How many know that it's only the truth of Jesus Christ that's going to save the world? Right? It's not a politician It's not a political party. It's not a stance. It's not a platform. The only thing that is going to change humanity is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus Christ saves, the good news that I am no longer who I used to be, the good news that God is love, and he extended that love to me in the person of Jesus who gave everything for me. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. I can know today that from the cross I stand righteous. I can know today that from the cross I stand free. From the cross I have joy. I have peace. That God has fought my battles for me through Jesus and that it is finished, meaning that the war is over, right? Hallelujah. Praise God. This is going to be really interesting today because my message is not preach, but apparently I have a little bit of preach in me today because none of that was in the, in the notes, in the message. And so we're going to see how this goes, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to guide us in the way we need to go. Amen? Praise God. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you today for your goodness. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit to us that is in this room right now, dwelling in each one of us that is called on your name, that today the Holy Spirit serves as our teacher and as our guide, that he will guide us into all truth. And so I ask you today, Holy Spirit, to fill my mouth with the words of God, that as I speak, I speak not on my own merit, but I speak on behalf of God today, that the words that I say not be words of man's wisdom, but they be with the demonstration of the Spirit and with power, that no one's faith stands in the wisdom of a man, but it stands with the power of God. We thank you for the divine appointments that are in this room and online today. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know whose water this is. There's some drink uh, of it already. And so it's my water? Okay. I, I haven't taken a drink of water from a water bottle this morning. I'm just saying that to know that there's some gone from this water bottle, but it doesn't, it doesn't smell bad. 
and we're family, right? Here we go. All right. Today we're talking about the culture of the cross. And you know, with, with each culture, you have different ideas, different thoughts. We all see the world a little bit differently because we see it through our cultural lens, right? How you were brought up, how you were raised, what your family did, maybe it's your heritage, your race, whatever it may be, we all have a little bit of a different culture. I know that, that I grew up in Oklahoma, Tiffany grew up in Oklahoma, every now and then, she even said it this morning, my Oklahoma's coming out a little bit, every now and then my Oklahoma comes out a little bit, and I say something just super country, um, you know, my family was, uh, is um, very backwoods Oklahoma, I mean, this is like, like, well, let me just give you, my cousin, um, my cousin has hunted with the guys from Duck Dynasty, this, that's my family, all right? If you, if you watch Duck Dynasty, I know that's kind of a dated show. I don't even know if it's on TV anymore, but you guys know what I'm talking about. If you want to know what my family is, that's my family, like 100%. Um, my fam we can say like entire conversations without really opening your mouth. Um, you just kind of mumble and everybody knows what you're saying, right? Um, this is the culture uh, of my family at nearly... Uh, nearly every meal, there's something fried. Um, we have chicken fried steak, but we don't call it chicken fried steak. We call it chicken fry. Um, we, have, um, we have fried potatoes a lot. Um, I don't know if you guys, like, eat that or no. I mean, I've been in New Mexico a long time. I consider myself more of a New Mexican than an Oklahoman. But every now and then, it just comes out. We call the refrigerator an icebox. Um, so, I mean, there, there's, there's different cultures. Even when, when Tiffany and I got married, um, we started noticing different cultures even just within our family. One of the things, if you've ever done any kind of um, counseling with us, whether it's when you're getting married or anything like that, we've probably told you a story about how in her house, her family, um, the, her, her stepdad always took out the trash, when my family, my mom always took out the trash. And so early on, we had the biggest fights about taking out the trash because I never took it out because I never even thought that that would be something that I would do. And she would just get mad but not say anything because I wasn't taking out the trash. And we would just let it pile up. And I'm like, I wonder why she's not taking out the trash. And she's like, I wonder why he's not taking out the trash. Just different cultures, right? Different ideas, different thoughts, um, different things that we eat and different ways that we ate it. I didn't think that I liked steak in my, in my life, like from the time I can remember until the time that, um, that Tiffany and I were dating and I discovered the amazing medium rare steak because my mom cooked steak well done and I hated it. Every time that we would make steak, and I would never order it out anywhere, I hated steak. It was just dry and, ooh, not good. I didn't know there was any other way. Tiffany didn't like steak because her mom eats steak like rare, maybe medium rare, but like rare, rare, like, like it's bleeding. And that's how she likes it. And so Tiffany didn't like steak. Tiffany didn't like steak until my mom made steak. I didn't like steak until her mom made steak. And then we were like, oh, there's different ways. There's different cultures, 
right? Different ways of doing things, different perspectives. We use lighthearted examples. There's so many different things. What, the the, the age-old thing, right? Coke, pop, soda, what do you call it, right? Have you seen, it's summertime, right? The, what do you call the popsicles that are in the sleeves, right? The ones that you buy, I don't know, inflation, so I don't know how much they are now, but you buy like the box of like 10,000 for like eight bucks or something like that. Probably, is it a popsicle? I always called it a pop ice. I don't know. Some people call it different things. Have you seen that online where it's like, what do you call this or what do you call that? right? It's just different cultures. Sometimes you don't even have good communication because you're talking about one thing and you mean something. Somebody's talking about something else, but they're saying the same thing. And so through that lens, we have different ideas and different thoughts and, and, and we behave different ways and we react different ways because we have different cultures, because we come from different backgrounds. When I say chili, now I mean green chili. But for the longest time, when I say chili, I meant like meat, and beans, and like what you would put on a hot dog, but we eat bowls of it too in Oklahoma. That's what I mean. You come here, chili doesn't mean that. You have to say something else. What, chili beans or chili bowl or something like that to qualify what you're talking about. You have different ideas, different thoughts. We have a culture that we were all born with, that we were all born into. We're all born into a culture. We learn it. We didn't ask for it, but we have it. But then when we receive Jesus, we have a different culture. And sometimes that's radically different than what you grew up doing, how you responded as you were growing up. How did you respond to conflict as you were growing up? How did you respond? <laughs> there you go. How did you respond to, to when bad things happen, to hurt? How did you respond what was the culture and how does the culture of, of Jesus and what he's planting in your life, what he's burning in your life, what he's growing in your life, how does that change? How does that differ? We have a culture that was given to us on the cross when we said, Jesus, come into my life. See, now we have a new family. The scripture tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, that old things have passed away and all things have become new. Now, don't get me wrong in this message. I'm absolutely not saying that your family culture and your heritage isn't a very important part of who you are and who God made you to be. That's not what I'm saying at all. But a lot of times we respond out of a worldly culture and not out of the culture of the cross. When things happen in life and we begin to look around, we see it right now in the situation that's happened in, um, oh my gosh, somebody help me with the city. Yes. Yes, Uvalde. Texas, I can't say it like that. Remember, I'm from Oklahoma. I said that earlier. But we have the situation that happened and we see all kinds of different responses happening and the reality is that no matter what happened and no matter where we want to say that the blame resides, it's an indicator of a world that is hurting. And our response as followers of Jesus needs to be one of love needs to be one of falling on our face and crying out to God. 
We have news organizations and politicians and social media warriors, keyboard warriors that want to say all kinds of different things. But it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart for the children. It breaks my heart for the town. It breaks my heart for the young man and what he was going through in his life. I don't know. I don't know. What brings a person to that point? I don't know, but it breaks my heart. What can we do about it? How do we move forward? Because the cross has changed me. And I want everybody to see the change that it can bring to them. How do we move forward? How do we go with the culture of the cross? Definition of culture. There's three definitions, three main definitions of the word culture. And we're going to focus on one today, but they're all relevant. And I want to just put them out there so that you can, um, so that you can begin to meditate on them. If you haven't looked at my notes today, there's going to be a lot that's not on the screen. And so um, if you're able, I encourage you to scan the code and to follow along with me today. But we have some definitions of the word culture. The first one I want to focus on, culture means the customs, arts, social institutions, and achievements of a particular nation, people, or other social group. That's going to be the one that we center around today. The customs, the arts, the social institutions, and the achievements of a particular nation. See, we are a particular nation, right? Right? We're a particular nation, right? We're called by God. We're chosen by Him. We've accepted the call. We've said, Jesus, come and transform me. That puts us into a particular nation. In fact, uh, Peter said that you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a peculiar or special or chosen people. Amen? Praise God. So we fall into this category of, of a group that has a culture. The number two definition that I see here is the culture. Um, actually, I deleted the other two from my notes. So if you'll bring those up, number two. Number two definition of the cross, is, of culture, is um, I think there was another one before that, or maybe there wasn't. There it is. The art and other manifestations of human intellectual achievement regarded collectively. Okay, so what this is talking about, I said I was from Oklahoma. What we say from Oklahoma, if somebody goes to a museum, it's you're going there so you can get cultured. Right? That's really backwoods, guys, I'm telling you. That's terrible. But the culture, meaning like what are what is human intellect? What can I learn from this? How can I experience even a different culture? How can I learn about something? That's very relevant to our Christian walk. We're not going to talk about it today. But I want you to think about how is that relevant to my Christian walk. That's homework for you. Number three. I was really worried about this one because, uh, and, and I decided just that I didn't have time to dig into it. But I think this one's incredibly important. A definition of culture. Maintain tissues or tissue cells, bacteria, etc. in conditions that are suitable for growth. 
How many know that as we move forward from the cross, our culture is that we maintain a, 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 an element or a condition or an environment that's suitable for our growth, right? Bacteria cultures are used in food, they're used in, in medicines and things like that. As we learn and that begins to grow, we stay in an environment of the cross that's allowing us to grow. Amen? Think about that. I'm going to move on. That's terrible, isn't it? I'm like giving you a little bit of something that's really good and I'm like, yeah, but we're not going to talk about it. But I believe that the Holy Spirit can bring it alive in your life. Amen? Amen. He's still bringing it alive in mine. But the culture of the cross has a stark contrast to the culture of the world, the customs of the world, the achievements of the world, the social institutions of the world, right? The arts of the world. It's so different. When we think about the arts, one of the things that we really try to foster at this church is creativity, because I believe this, that we have the creative power of God, the one that created the world out of nothing on the inside of us. Why are all the creative things going to the world? Because as the church, we haven't created an environment where it can grow. Amen? I believe that. I believe that we haven't created an environment where it can grow. I've heard person after person, and if you, if you follow pop culture or whatever, how many people that are, are I, I would say, and I don't like to use this word a lot, but are, are secular um, artists, music artists, producers, um, different, different forms of the art, they say, I began in church when I was a kid. Why aren't they still doing it in church? I believe that in a lot of cases it's because the church said, no, we don't do it that way. We don't, we've always done it this way. We don't do it that way. And so they went to somewhere that would let them have an outlet. Let them be the creative being that God made them to be. I've purposed in my heart that we will not be that environment. That we will be an environment that embraces the creative power of God. Amen? Praise God. The church should be the trendsetter. Hallelujah. There's a stark contrast in the culture of the world, the customs of the world, the achievements of the world. What do we esteem in the world? And what do we esteem in the culture of the cross, the social institutions? What do we esteem? I'm going to put up here the four accounts of the crucifixion. And I want you just to write them down. I'm not going to go to them and read them today, but I'm going to reference something from every single one of them. And so I want you to write them down. It doesn't take long. Read one a day for the next four days. It's just a few verses in the Bible, but these are the accounts of the cross. And I believe that the entire culture that we move forward from the cross is all encompassed in these four accounts of the crucifixion. These are through four different eyes that are all experiencing the same thing. Four different accounts, four different ideas, four different lenses. It's really interesting to look and see what these four men see as important, what they extract from it, what they grab from it. Just like when you leave here today, 
Every single one of you will have a different thing that the Holy Spirit dropped into your heart about today. It's through your lens. It's through what you've gone through in your life. It's through where you're at right now. What are your triumphs? What are your struggles? What did you need to hear? And that's how we see it here in the Gospels and the account of the cross. And so if you have those, you can put those up on the screen. It's Matthew chapter 27, verse 32 through 44. Um, not those. It, do we have all four of these all together or how do we have them? No, that's okay. Let's just scroll through these real quick. Matthew chapter 27, verse 32 through 44. And then there's Mark chapter 15. I think we have it up there. And these are also in my notes. Mark chapter 15, verse 21 through 44. This is Mark's account of the cross. Luke chapter 23, verse 26 through 43. I'm sorry if I'm going too fast. And John chapter 19, verse 17 through 30. These are four accounts of the cross. Take some time to read those this week so we can learn about our culture, our heritage. The first thing that I want to point out today is that from the cross, we give. From the cross, we give. Jesus laid down his life. He offered his life as a ransom for ours. From the cross, we learn the culture of giving. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, this is in the notes. It says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And he came to give his life for the ransom of many. He came to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ gave on the cross. From the cross, we learn a culture of giving. This place, the body of Christ, we should be known for our generosity. We should be known for our giving. How do we give? How do we give of ourselves? See, giving is not just a monetary thing. How do we give of ourselves? How do we give of our time? How do we give of our kindness? How do we give of our love? How do we give of our forgiveness? We should be known for our generosity because Jesus laid everything down for us. This means that the cross has enabled us in all aspects to be givers by nature to be givers by nature. Well, maybe you say, well, Pastor Jason, I wasn't brought up that way. I was brought up to where we didn't have enough, and you always had to hold on tight to what you had. I understand that. But if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And the culture of giving says that I understand that all things that I have come from him. And if all things that I have come from him, then that makes me a steward of it, not an owner. It makes me a steward of it. It makes me a manager of it. And so if God gives me something and then he tells me to give it away, I don't have to wait for an audible voice from God in order to give. Because I know that my culture is to give. 
I know that my culture is to be a giver. And so with everything that I do, I am to give because that's what he did. That's what Jesus did, amen? So say this with me, from the cross, we give. One more time, from the cross, we give. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Jasmine preached my entire message during, um, during worship today. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And, I, and she didn't see this part, I don't think. I don't think it was in there when I sent her my notes. Therefore, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Say living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. See, if you think about it, Jesus offered his body in death right? Jesus gave up his life. And so he's saying, because I gave up my life, I want you to live for me. His sacrifice was in death so that your sacrifice could be in life. Amen? Praise God. Think about that. His sacrifice was in death so that your sacrifice could be in life. He says it's a living sacrifice and it's a pleasing sacrifice. Sometimes we may say, well, I just, I just really want to please God. Or how many times do we, do we not give of ourselves because we're like, ah, I don't really want to do it wrong. I don't want to step out and I, I don't want to misrepresent God. He says here that you're a living sacrifice and you're holy and you're pleasing to God. And then he said, this is your true and proper worship. So don't conform to the pattern of the world. In other words, the world does things a certain way. Don't do them that way. Don't conform to the pattern and the way that the world does things. But he says be transformed by changing the way you think, by renewing your mind. We're changing our mind to the culture of the cross. Amen? We're changing our mind to begin to think the way that Jesus thinks, to carry the culture of Jesus today. He says, then you're able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Jesus sacrificed, giving us an example of the culture of the Christian, of the Jesus follower. We have the culture of the cross. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Number two, from the cross, we forgive. From the cross, we forgive. The scripture tells us that Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is what Jesus said on the cross, as he, as he was going to the cross, actually. He's going to the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's a culture of forgiveness. Jesus gave us an example of forgiveness. How quick are we? in our culture right now to not forgive, right? How quick are we to judge? I was talking with somebody the other day, and I told this person, I said, you know, the, the thing about it is that every one of us are changing and growing, I hope, right? If we're followers of Jesus, we're Christians, we're changing and we're growing into the image of him. Now, there are things today, I've been a Christian for my entire life, and there are things today that I am much better than I was 
three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. There are revelations that I have that have helped me today that I didn't have that revelation five years ago or ten years ago. But I'm changing, but I'm growing. How is it that we can look at somebody and so quickly judge them and say, oh, well, they're not a real Christian. Well, they're not a real follower of Jesus because they do this or that. Just because you have a revelation of something that maybe they don't yet doesn't mean that they don't have a revelation of something that you don't yet. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. How can you say, I heard somebody say, and I'm just going to say it straight out. It's so hateful. I heard a, a, a pastor say this. It was a, um, a TikTok clip, but I've looked it up, and it, it's appalling. But I heard someone say that if you vote Democrat, you are not welcome in this church. I was so broken and grieved when I heard that, angry when I heard it, because this is somebody that's representing Jesus right? And has hatred and anger in his heart towards people. I was so grieved by that. Guys, I don't care how you vote. Ask God and vote. Be obedient to him and vote. I want you to know that I don't care what your views are. You belong in this church. Amen? You belong here. In fact, you don't even have to believe God to belong here. Amen? You don't have to believe to belong. I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to preach Jesus in the best way that I know how. Does somebody else preach Jesus better? Maybe they do, but I'm growing and God is, is, is forming me and molding me just like God is forming and molding you. And you belong here. That's what I'm going to do because that's my role. But my role is not to condemn you. You belong. Because we have a culture of forgiveness because that's what Jesus did. Jesus showed us a culture of forgiveness on the cross. I'll ask you today, don't judge us, Christians, the church, by the crap that you see on TikTok or YouTube or whatever. You know what I'm doing? And I started the day that I saw it. I began praying for that pastor. I began praying for him because it grieves me that he has these thoughts in his heart. But he's got a platform. And I hope that God would begin to pour his love into his life. And I guarantee you that if I were to listen to his messages or have a conversation with him, that he has revelations that I don't have. I'm not here to judge him, right? I'm not here to stand and say that I'm better than him or whatever. No, no, we're just, we, we, we have different thoughts and ideas and I may do something and he's like, man, that grieves me because I don't see that in the scripture. I hope that I grow and I hope that he does too. Amen? Amen. Praise God because from the cross we forgive. From the cross we forgive. Number three, from the cross, I don't want y'all to get excited because I still have a lot and you're like, man, he's already on number three and we just have five to go. No, y'all chill out, all right? I know you're already trying to order DoorDash. I know because you're like, this is going to be done in 30 minutes. Chili's is a 45-minute wait right now. 
Number three, from the cross, we walk humbly. Jesus humbled himself to the death of the cross. From the cross, we walk humbly. You know what that means? And a lot of times, we get a bad view of humility. But you know what humility means? Is humility is saying, God, I need you. It's not saying I'm unworthy. That's not humility. Humility is not saying that, that I, I can't do this or I'm low and, and, and I'm less. And you're, that, that's not what humility is. Humility is saying, God, I need you. God, I can't do this by myself. I need you. God, it's you. It's not about me. It's not about my fame. It's not about my plans. It's not really even about my likes and my dislikes. God, I trust you. I need you. That's what humility is from the cross. We walk humbly. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. It says, let this mind be in you. I want you to say this with faith before we even read it. Say, let this mind be in me. Let this mind be in you. You know why I had you say that? Because this mind was also in Christ, okay? So we can say with faith, God, let this mind be in me because it was in Christ. That's what Paul was saying here. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ. Because even though Jesus was in the form of God, he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. Jesus didn't walk into the room and say, don't you know who I am? I'm the son of God. Don't you know? You, hey, do you guys remember? You remember that wedding? I know y'all are all talking behind my back and I saw those texts that you were sending and, but I, 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 I want you to remember that there was a while back y'all were all at a wedding and you didn't have any problem then when I was turning water into wine. Everybody loved me then. But now you're like, oh, kingdom of God's at hand. This guy's crazy, right? You sure loved that wine that night. No, he made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, it says he humbled himself. There's this popular thought and idea that God will humble you. God, just humble me. Or maybe you're going through a challenge or a struggle in your life, and it's like, well, I guess God's just humbling me. Well, the scripture says that Jesus humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself. He became obedient. How did he humble himself? He became obedient. <laughs> That's where it gets challenging, right? He became obedient. He's like, God, it's not my way. I need your help. And so if you tell me to do something, I'm going to do it. We see the example in the Old Testament of Naaman, and he had leprosy, and, and the prophet told him, go wash in the Jordan River. He's like, Psh, Jordan River, forget that. That's nasty over there. I'm not going to wash in the Jordan River. I'm too proud for that. Jesus humbled himself. Naaman humbled himself, right? If you read the story, he ended up washing in the Jordan River, and he was cleansed seven times. Seven times in the Jordan River. He humbled himself because he was obedient, when you're obedient, that you recognize that even though I may not understand it, I'm going to do it. Even though I may not get it, even though it may not be in my culture, well, my culture says that, that, 
that I know how to do it. Tony and I were talking yesterday about some of our pride that gets in the way. I don't know if it's just me and Tony or if it's other people that are in here, but sometimes we think we know better, right? I hope you're okay with me sharing that today. I'm standing right there with you. Sometimes I think I know better. But the culture of the cross is that we humble ourselves and we say, I don't know better. I don't know better. God, you know better. I have a friend that says this, his plan is better. I don't care what your plan is, his plan's better. Just a blanket statement, you make a plan, his is better. Follow his plan. Follow his way. Follow his purpose. He humbled himself and he became, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven, those in earth, those under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself, became obedient, and as he was obedient, God exalted him. Why? Because God's plan was better. God's plan is better. He humbled himself. Luke chapter 23 and the story of the cross. Luke 23 verse 44. Now it was the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. That was three o'clock and it became the hour of prayer. Why? Because of what happened. The sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having this, he said his last breath. Even during crucifixion, even during crucifixion, us, we often try to fight for our way even during crucifixion. When God's doing a work on us, when he's putting to death the old way, when we've said, God, take control of my life, and then it begins to work on us and begins to mold us and begin to change us, we resist. We begin to fight and say, no, that's not how I do it. No, that's not the way. Well, that's just not my family. Well, I just have a short fuse. Well, I just tell it like it is. Well, I just want to speak the truth, but I'm speaking the truth in love. It's no different than how you said it two weeks ago before you knew God, but now it's in love, right? Before it was just, I'm just speaking the truth. Now I'm just speaking the truth in love. Jesus, even in crucifixion, he was humbling himself. Many times, even in crucifixion, we're fighting for our way. We got to be right. We try to fight for the things that we made ourselves. We even fight for our struggles, guys. Right? Am I hitting home with anybody today? Can you say, man, this is, the, I, I understand this, I identify with this, that I even fight for my struggles? Well, that's just my anxiety. Oh, you own it, good. Wow, well, I, I didn't, um. 
Okay. Well, go ahead and gather it up. Take it home with you if you want it so bad. We even fight for our struggles. The culture of the cross is to stop fighting the things we used to be. The culture of the cross is humility. Father, into your hands, into your hands I commit my spirit. Everything I am, the core of me, I commit into your spirit. I commit my spirit into your hands today. Everything that I am, everything that I hold. See, a lot of times when we're going through our life and we're going through this crucifixion process, I mean, we're talking about moving from the cross, but first you had to be at the cross, right? So we're going through this process and we've got this mindset had a conversation on my small group on Thursday night. I'm in a small group with different ministers and, and, and pastors and church leaders from different places in the country. And we were having a conversation on Thursday night about being restored versus being resurrected. A lot of times we say, and I've said it myself, I just want to be restored. I just, I just want to have some, res- some restoration in my life. But when you restore something, you take it back to the way it was. Right? It had degraded, and you take it back to the way it was. Guys, I don't want to be restored. I want to be resurrected. I don't want to be the way that I was. I'm not the way I was anymore. I'm resurrected. Now I'm alive. Now I'm better. The old is gone. See, without, res- without a death, there can't be a resurrection. And so I'm not going to hold on to those things and just hope that they're restored. I want to be resurrected. I want to be made new from this because the old is dead. It's gone. It's no longer there. I humble myself and said, all the things that I thought I was, all the things that I had worked so hard for, all the things that I had achieved, and all the things that I had broken. I lay at the feet of Jesus, and I say, you take them, put them to death on the cross as I identified with him. And now, today, I stand resurrected. Those things are gone. Those things are not me. Those things are not a part of my culture any longer. I have the culture of the cross. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Paul said it this way. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 17, he said, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. Let me just say this. Josiah and I had a conversation on Thursday night talking about grace and does grace give you a license to sin. And there are places in the scripture where Paul says it just plainly because he was asked the same question. And he says here, if while seeking to be justified by Christ, if we find ourselves a sinner, is Christ a minister of sin? Certainly not. Certainly not. See, this isn't a license to do whatever. It's the freedom to overcome. Because we understand that we couldn't do it ourselves, but we've humbled ourselves, right? He says here, if I build again the things I destroyed, I made myself a transgressor. 
See, if, if Christ freed you from sin and then you build sin again in your life and are a slave to it, you made yourself that transgressor. God didn't do it for you. It wasn't his grace that did that. He empowered you to be free. He says here, for through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God because I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me, who loved me. See, our old dies when we commit ourselves into the hands of the Father. Amen? Humble yourself. Number four, from the cross, we experience acceptance. Now, I want to be very clear about this word acceptance because a lot of times we equate in our culture, in our world culture, we equate acceptance with agreement. And just because I accept you doesn't mean I agree with everything that you do. And if we were to go through in this room and we wanted to be critical, which is not the culture of the cross, by the way, but if we wanted to be critical, I could probably point out in most of your lives and then you could do it right back at me, something that you don't agree with that we do, right? A behavior, an action, something we say, so, right? We could all do it. And I could say, you know what, I don't really agree with that. Or you could say, well, right back at you, man. But from the cross, we have acceptance that we're loved, that we're welcome in the family. We have acceptance. In Luke chapter 23, verse 39, it's the story of Jesus on the cross. And it says, and then one of the criminals who were hanged, and these are two criminals that were hanged next to Jesus on the cross on either side. One of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourselves and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God? See, you're under the same condemnation, and indeed, justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I want you to understand that these guys were criminals. They were thieves. What did they steal? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. I'm guessing that it was something pretty big because they were being crucified for whatever they had done. So they're on the cross, and this one thief says to Jesus, will you remember me when you go into your kingdom? Sounds to me like he called on the name of the Lord. He believed Jesus, right? That day, Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, man, I need an explanation for what you did. He didn't say, I need you to lay out all the things that you, I need to know that you really have changed. I mean, like, for real. You didn't say Romans 10, 9, and 10, right? You didn't say the, you didn't repeat that prayer. I did not see you bow your head and close your eyes. So I'm not sure that this is going to be for real. 
You know what? It wasn't about that. What was it about? It was about acceptance. It was about believing. Today, we are accepted. The thief was not judged on the basis of his past, but the basis of his decision, right? His past bound him to the cross, but his decision gave him freedom. Let's look at the story in Luke 19 of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was an evil man who ripped a lot of people off, but he sought out Jesus, and Jesus accepted him in the kingdom right? It wasn't about his past. It was about his decision. The woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5, this woman needed to stay at her house. She was considered unclean. This was in my notes before we talked about it yesterday, but Tony was telling me yesterday, and I hadn't ever thought about this, but as this woman went out, if people would have known They would have freaked out because as they got near her, that meant they now had to be banished to their house. Quarantined, right? We know what that means, right? 14 days or 10 or whatever the next thing that comes out is. Woman with the issue of blood, she was not accepted. She reached out, she grabbed Jesus' garment, and she was accepted. Why was she accepted? Not based on her struggles or her past, but her decision. She pursued Christ, and she was accepted, right? But people come into our church, and sometimes we don't accept them. Or we see people out on the street, and sometimes we don't accept them because of their choices, because of their lifestyle, because of their decisions. How are they ever going to come to Christ if we don't have a culture of acceptance? How are they ever going to see Jesus? The woman at the well had a reputation But she sought out Jesus, and she was accepted because of her decision, not because of her past. The woman caught in the act of adultery, Jesus said, these guys want to stone you, but I'm not going to stone you. Why? Because of your decision, not because of your past, not because of your actions. I'm going to accept you. I'm going to allow change to happen in your life. Why is it that we've developed this culture that we expect everybody to be perfect, but we preach Jesus changes? Right? We want to say all the time, well, Jesus is the change that you need. But if you're not right, then we say, nah, not really. We don't really need you. I think if we're going to preach that Jesus can change somebody, we need to allow Jesus to change somebody because I don't know about you, but he changed me, right? I think every one of us could could sit in here and begin to talk and say, I have a testimony of how Jesus has changed me, right? And so maybe somebody has a wrong idea or something that's against scripture or something that's against what I see in the scripture, but my job is to accept them and to love them and to let Jesus and them, work out all those little things because it's not my job. It's not my job. Maybe I'm not ready for that moment yet. Maybe there's something that you're like, man, I wish he would just get over this, but I'm not ready for it yet, but Jesus is working on me. He's working on me, and I hope that he's working on you too to change and to bring about his purposes and his plans and his will in you, amen? As a Christian, as a Jesus follower, our culture is acceptance, not judgment. Not judgment. Our culture is acceptance. Number five, from the cross, we recognize 
that the grace that we have been given is not free. I struggled with this all week because God put this, he dropped that Monday morning, he dropped that into my heart. The grace that you have been given is not free. And I struggled with it, like I said, all week, and it was until Friday afternoon that I felt comfortable with saying, when Jasmine was saying, where are your notes, where are your notes, where are your notes, because I'm supposed to have them to her on Thursday. And it was Friday, and she's like, where are your notes? I'm like, I'm not comfortable, I can't. Because I knew God wanted me to say this, but man, how many times have I said, and Pastor Daniel said, and many other, every other preacher has said, the free gift of God, the free gift of God, the free gift of God. And I'm not trying to contradict today, because it's free to you. You don't have to pay for it. Grace is freely given to you. But it was not free for Jesus. It was not free for Jesus. I think about this. When somebody gives you a gift, you think about what it was for them to give it, right? Connor goes to school and they have a, um, they have a, a section set up during Christmas that you can buy gifts for your parents. And he labors over that because he wants to buy the perfect gift. Is it the most expensive gift? It's not. But does it mean the world? Yes, because I know what it costs. I know what it costs, and that wasn't a dollar amount. It was the thought and the plan that went into it. It was the passion and the fire that went into it. It's that he worked so hard to get something that was so special. Whenever we see a gift that's given to us, I don't know always what it took. Did you have to save in order to get that and you blessed me with it? What did that mean to you to give that gift to me? And that means so much to me. But sometimes when something was free, we just kind of discard it. It doesn't really mean that much to us, right? Sometimes when it was free, how many times on an app, like for Taco Bell, do you earn a reward for like a free taco, but you don't get it and you let it expire? You went to Taco Bell like nine times, but you didn't get your free taco. Why? It was free. Eh, it's not that big a deal. It was yours right? Taco Bell gave it to you because you're such a valuable customer, right? It was free. It was given to you, but we didn't value it. We didn't value it. Sometimes we don't value things that are given to us. The gift of salvation, it was not free. Jesus paid everything for it. Let's look in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Full disclosure, guys, this thing died. So now we're here. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. It says this, but what things were gained to me I have counted as loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I count all things as a loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Look, I love this. That I may know him. Isn't that our goal, right? That I may know him. But then he says, I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Yeah, we can jump and shout and dance at that line right there that I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection. Jesus, I want to know the power of your resurrection. But look, he says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Why do I need to know the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings? He says here in the last line, being conformed to his death. Being conformed to his death. That I may know him. That I may know the power of his resurrection. But the way I know that is by knowing the fellowship of his sufferings. I can be in the same place. I can be in the same room. I can be experiencing those same things. Remember, Jesus experienced them in death. We experience them in life, right? It's the fellowship of his sufferings. It's my understanding that the grace that was given to me that I didn't pay for, he did. And he suffered for them. And he died for them. He was humiliated for them. He struggled for them. Jesus was on the cross and was struggling not only physically, but mentally, emotionally. Jesus was experiencing the worst anxiety that has ever been felt. Jesus was on the cross and he was separated spiritually from God the Father for the first time ever. He was separated from God spiritually. He was suffering mentally. He was suffering emotionally. He was suffering physically in some of the worst pain known to man. I want to know his suffering because I want to know what it costs. I want to know what it costs. Because when I know what it costs, I know the power of resurrection. When I know what it costs, I know that I've been conformed into his death. And I understand what his death meant. I understand what his resurrection meant. Because I understand that the grace that I have been given was not free. It was not free. From the cross, I have an understanding that I guard this with my life. Because it cost Jesus his but thanks be to God. He was resurrected. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to close with this. We go forward to the world by allowing the cross to be behind us. We go to the world by allowing the cross to be behind us. See, it's the world before us. It's the cross behind us. But we have to allow the cross to be behind us. What have we talked about in this series? We've talked about freedom from sin. We've talked about that the battle has been fought and has already been won. We have to allow the cross to work in our life. If you're still trying to fight, God will let you fight. If you want to fight, go ahead. He'll let you fight. But that's not the intent. 
Just like in, in the story of the children of Israel as they're taking the promised land. If you want to do it your way, he'll let you do it your way. But it's not going to work out great for you. But if you'll do it his way, then you understand that the battle's already been won. It's already been fought. You don't have to fight. The victory's been won. Ephesians 6.10. Ephesians 6.10 you're like, well, Pastor Jason, I know that you're saying that the battle's already been won, and, and if you think the way that I think, and a lot of times, even like going to our, our church background, or our spiritual background, we, we've been taught to fight, right? We've been taught that this is what we gotta do. We take up arms, and we're ready, and we fight. And what is said most of the time when we're taught to fight? You wake up every morning, and you put on the armor of God, right? You wake up every morning. You put on the armor of God. And even the Bible says, so that you can stand in the evil day, right? I've got to wake up. I've got to put on the armor of God. I want to close this series talking about the armor of God because we've talked a lot about how the fight's already won. Why would God give us armor? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Say his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. See, he says right there, it's not you anyway, it's him. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, the entire armor of God, all of it. You need all of it. What does it mean to put it on? We're having a consciousness. See, we can't just like grab the helmet of salvation and just put it on. We have a consciousness. We're living our life through these things. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. So he's saying here you're not going to be able to stand if you don't put on the whole armor of God, right? So you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Super weird word. Nobody says that anymore, the wiles of the devil. What does that mean? That means the road, the path, the journey. That you may be able to stand against the journey that the devil is on. See, you're on a journey, he's on a journey. Your journey is following Christ. His journey is coming right here to intercept you. That's his journey. That's his purpose. That's his road. So when he comes, you may be able to stand against his journey. You may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle, battle, struggle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We've made this fight against flesh and blood, you guys. That's not the culture of the cross. We've made this fight against our fellow man, and that's not what it's about. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. That means humans, right? The people that you see. Principalities. That word principalities, it means the standard of the world system. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but it is against principalities or the standard of the world system. It's against powers, meaning ideas that influence you. It's against the rulers of the darkness or Satan and his plans. And it's against spiritual wickedness and high places. This is a heaviness and the culture of the enemy. We've been talking about the culture of the cross. This is the culture of the enemy. Our fight is against the culture of the enemy. 
We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the world systems. We wrestle against ideas and attitudes and influence. We wrestle against the rulers of darkness or Satan and his plans. See, many times we look around, there's been a whole lot in the news about um, the, these companies that are, are making questionable moral decisions or just things that are just flat out against the laws of God and what do we do about this? And we've made the fight against flesh and blood. But he says you don't make the fight against flesh and blood, but make no mistake about it that these ideas and thoughts are things that influence. Our fight is against the influence. Why do we need the culture of the cross to lead the church? It's so that we can be the ones out in front influencing. Amen? Amen. Praise God. That was better than you gave it credit for. I'm just saying. Maybe I need to say it again. Do we need to start over? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Preach it, brother. Some of y'all are like, nope, please don't. Spiritual wickedness or heaviness in high places. Spiritual heaviness in high places. One of the things that I do to combat spiritual heaviness, this is just something that I do, and I encourage you to do it too. Um, if you ever have the opportunity to go to places where, where government is, now there's one right down the street. If you ever go to these places, Take a minute and just pray. Just pray for the, for the heaviness. And I'm not saying that it's everywhere, but it's, it's in some places. I can tell you in places, I, I'm not trying to get weird or anything like that. I can tell you in places where I felt it and places where I haven't. And it's maybe not where you would think. Every time I spend any time in Washington, D.C., this is odd, you guys. I'm just telling you what I, what I feel. I feel a peace. Maybe, maybe you've been there and you feel different, but, but you know where I don't feel peace is in the roundhouse in Santa Fe. Just saying. But I spend time praying. No matter where, I spend time praying. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness, and high places. And then it says, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. I've said this many times. The evil day is not a day on the calendar. You don't flip it and you get an alert on your phone that's like, oh, it's the evil day. But it's whenever the day turns evil. You can withstand. And having done all to stand. You stand, therefore, and this is how you stand. Having your waist girded with truth, having the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, where you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one and taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So these are the things that make up the armor of God that we're supposed to put on every day so that we can fight. But I want you to look at what all these things are. First of all, he says, I want you to take up truth. These are the things that you know are right. How do we know truth? Through the Holy Spirit that's in us, that's guiding us to all truth. What is truth? By the standard of the cross, right? And so if I'm going from the cross as the cross as my standard, then those aren't things that I'm currently fighting for. They're things that were fought for. 
Truth was fought for. The second thing, righteousness. Righteousness just means right standing with the Father God. Right standing with God is not something that I have to fight for. Righteousness with God is something that has empowered me because it's already been won, right? My righteousness, I stand in my righteousness. When the evil day comes and it tries to pull me away from what my purpose is, it tries to tell me that I'm not good enough, it tries to tell me that I have not been chosen by God or that I've messed that up a long time ago, I stand in the righteousness of God. How can I stand in the righteousness of God? Well, it was done on the cross. So moving from the cross, the culture of the cross tells me that I'm righteous. Amen? See, I'm not fighting. Yes, I'm putting on the armor of God, but it's not so I can fight. It's so I can stand. Do you see that? It's not so I can fight. It's so I can stand. I'm strong in the Lord, and I'm in the power of His might, what He already did. I don't have to fight, but it's so I can stand because even though the war's over, the enemy still tries to come. But so I can stand in the evil day, not so I can fight and defeat Him in the evil day, but so I can stand in the evil day I put on truth because I know let God be true and let every man be a liar, right? I know that the righteousness is on me because of Jesus. Then the preparation of the gospel of peace. We talked about this a few weeks ago that when I go out, my boots are not for fighting anymore. They're for bringing about the message of peace, for screaming that God is at peace with man and that the war is over. And so again, I'm putting on the armor of God, but not so I can fight, so I can stand. So I can say, no, 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 I'm at peace with God. No, 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 God isn't against me, God is for me. No, you can say all day long that God is coming against me, that my actions has caused God to do certain things in my life and bring me to these places so he could humble me or whatever the lie may be, but I know because I put on peace today that I'm at peace with God because of the cross it's not so I can fight it's so I can stand above all take the shield of faith why my faith in the cross behind me my faith in the cross empowers me to move forward to the world it quenches the fiery darts when the enemy comes against me I know that Jesus is enough amen that's what faith is I know that Jesus is enough And so he can bring whatever he wants against me, but I know that Jesus is enough. I'm not fighting, I'm standing. You're like, well, what about the sword of the Spirit? What's a sword for? Oh, that's the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. What's the sword of the Spirit for? It's to keep me on purpose. It's to keep me on track. It's to go through and to cut through the lies of the enemy. It's not to kill him. It's to cut through the lies. It's to stay on purpose. It's to stay on focus. He gave me the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's to remind me. Remember the Bible says that the Word of God is a double-edged sword, that it penetrates the intents of the heart, soul and spirit, thoughts and intents of the heart, right? That's what the sword of the Spirit does. That's what the Word of God does, is it separates out what is the thought and what is the intent of the heart. Who was I called to be? Who was I chosen to be? It's not so I can fight. It's so I can stand. It's so I can stay on task. Then, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to the end with all perseverance for all saints. Church, 
We've been given all the tools that we need to stand in the evil day, to move forward from the cross, to live the culture of the cross, and to make a real change in the world around us. We've got to change the way we think. I'm not here to fight. It's already done. I'm here to stand. I'm here to stand. Because there's a lot of evil days. But I can stand. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. God is so good. He's so good to us. With everybody's head bowed and eyes closed today. See, we don't do this because this is how God hears you or anything like that. We do this just out of respect for one another. So we can focus our attention on him. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've never received Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to do that today. The Bible says that God made him, meaning Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we could be right in the eyes of God. And so today, if that's you, say, Pastor Jason, I I need help. I need to humble myself. I need help. You want to call on Jesus today. I want to pray a prayer with you. And I'm going to invite everybody in here and everybody online to say this prayer with us because we're a family. So if you would just say this after me. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God's son. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again. And I ask you to come into my life to help me and to change me. And I give my life to you. Thank you once again for joining us today online. We value you and we want to hear from you. If you made a decision for Christ today, you can select I Choose Jesus on our website. And we've got a couple videos for you to watch so that you can get started on your walk with God. We've also got a free ebook that you can download right from our website called I Choose Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do that. Once again, thank you for joining us. And remember that God is madly in love with you.